Hi, this is Areej Noor, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Wrap, a weekly radio show weaving conversations about culture, politics, literature, art and music into a weekly mix. Broadcast live on Triple R from Kulin Nations land in Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. According to Wikipedia, Caroline Phillips is an Australian visual artist who has exhibited works in over 50 exhibitions in Australia and internationally in the areas of sculpture and photography. Uh, Catherine also works as an independent curator and researcher on collaborative projects that highlight the strength of women's art practice and challenge systemic inequities in political and cultural systems. And she's the secretary secretary of the uh, Women's Art Register. Caroline, thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So I did that because we're chatting about Wikipedia today and we're chatting about this editathon that's happening. So I know very little about the back end of Wikipedia, sure. but but yeah. we do. It's something that I use pretty often just to see what's happening if I search something or find out dates about people or whatever it might be. Can Wikipedia be edited by anyone? Is that the general gist of it? Yeah, that's that's it. Like it's actually a, um, a commons platform that anybody can enter into and engage with. Like obviously everybody, nearly everybody reads Wikipedia at some, to some extent. But um, all you need to do is actually... Go in there, start up an account. You don't even have to use your real name. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, what happens is it's designed to be this this crowd platform where everybody can contribute and um, you can contribute writing, images, um, data. There's all kinds of different um, kind of subsections of, of Wikipedia. And um, so with the Women's Art Register, we're working with Wikimedia Australia and that's a volunteer group. There's this um, huge group of uh, geeks, I suppose, out there. And um, they're all really interested in getting onto Wikipedia and in increasing the representation of women and other marginalised groups of people. Um, because if you haven't already noticed, most of the time when you get online, it's writing by men and about men. Mm. So it's um, a huge project. So it's actually um, called the Art and Feminism Project and it was started in the States about five, six years ago. Yeah, and that's where I saw it. So I saw it in New York City. Um, <clears throat> there was a an editathon with um, young black and brown uh, people who were part of this arts program, Brooklyn, and they were editing um, yeah. and Harlem and they were editing a bunch of pages and they were also making pages for people that were important figures yes. in their community that were not acknowledged within the Wikipedia space because it is a essentially a public-run platform. Yeah. So I just want to ask about moderating and about content. So if anyone can write anything and post anything on Wikipedia, how – does it stay? How does it in, work? Yes. How does it work? It doesn't. Yeah. You know, is it a source that is it a genuine source for information? If if anyone can just yeah, do that? yeah. So what happens? There is a, a a panel of moderators, and they are a bit mysterious. I don't know who they are and where they are, mm. but they're people all around the world, and they're connected to different chapters of Wikipedia, if you like. And um, so, 
as a, an editor, especially a first-time editor, when you go on there, they're going to look closely at your content. But the thing is that there's a, a set of rules and guidelines and it's not terribly complicated but it is quite specific mm -hmm. so they the main criteria actually is that if you're writing about a person it's this idea of notability so you can't just write about your best friend because you think she's ace or whatever you have to um, write about someone that has got something that they've done that is of note I suppose mm -hmm. and then you have to back that up so the way you do that is to use citations and it sounds a bit sort of academic but it's actually um, fairly straightforward but what you would do is cite somebody's work in a book or in a, an exhibition or in some other source that is already deemed to be notable and then you can kind of attach this person to, to that person. So it's like this kind of network out there that especially with artists the problem is often that an exhibition is not necessarily considered you know, a, a notable thing in terms of traditional academic citations. But that's really changing, especially over the last sort of 10 years or so, that, um, you know, an exhibition catalogue, an essay, a review in a notable media source, um, you know, coming on a, on a program. Um, if you can find what those references are and put them in, even if you only write three sentences, if you put in three citations in there that... Um, then it, there's a fair chance that it's going to be accepted onto Wikimedia, Wikipedia and then you can go in and add more and somebody else can come and add more. Um, and so what happens is, like you said, you can start a whole new page about somebody or you can go and add to a page that's already there. So again, um, in particular for women and women artists, often there's a tiny page there like a stub but there's not a lot of information. So we keep lists of, of those pages that need upgrading if you like and we keep lists of who's not there that should be and then when you come to a, to a, an editathon, we can say, hey, you know, um, this person needs needs some help and you can go in there and, and we also have resource materials available. In fact, you prepare before you come actually and you have a think about who you're interested in writing about. You can do a bit of research online, go to the library and in particular write down those citations so that you can come in and load them up. Mm. And then as you do more and more editing, then you're more well known by, by the moderators and there's more chance that you can... Um, you know, just have your, your your writings immediately accepted, yeah. The thing about Wikipedia is that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it is often one of the first things to come up when you search someone or something or a date or whatever. And so it is actually a really, really significant resource Absolutely. for people to get mm. their work out there and for there to be far less women engaged in the back end but also who are represented on the front of Wikipedia. Yes. That is um, quite significant, isn't it? Yes, yes. So at the moment there's there's less than 20% of the content on Wikipedia is about women mm -hmm. and then for women artists I think it's only about 12% or 10%. And so the idea is that if you get more women editors that they're going to write about women and so it improves, um, you know, it's a cumulative effect if you like and so like with the the women's art register we're a physical archive and we have members and people can contact us and do research but as you say the first go-to place is online for people and often what comes up first is wikipedia so we see it as an extension really of what we're already doing that we can enhance the the 
um, notoriety, really, you know, the notability of women artists. We can get them more out into um, the public space and the online space and um, that, that can only be a good thing. Yeah. Wikipedia also um, is... It's kind of legitimizing, right? So it has this ability yes. to legitimize an artist or a person yes. or a cultural figure or, or whatever, and that's important. Yeah, well, I mean, it is it is a serious space and it is a serious exercise, and um, it is um, moderated, as we said. And also, I think, I mean, there's a, there's quite a few people on there who perhaps might just be celebrities for um, dubious reasons, but there's also a lot of solid um, research that's gone into there and um, generally speaking what's there is reliable. Mm. If it's not reliable it will often say that, that this this information has not been verified or, yeah. or needs more citations so then you can consider it, you know, um, along with other media that that you're consuming. Um, so I guess um, it's it's an option amongst all the kind of fake news and different kinds of medias and extreme things that you get on social media. It, it cuts out a lot of that noise and it doesn't contain a lot of superlatives. You're not allowed to say, oh, she's an awesome artist. Like you have to say, she's done this work. She's mm-hmm. out there. She's had a hundred shows. You know, she's in this incredible, you know, collection. So-and-so has written about her and they're facts. Like it's fact-based. Right. It's evidence-based. So in that sense, it, it is reliable and it is important because they're the things that do get lost over time and lost in this noise of, of you know, um, unreliable media that's, that's around us. It's really interesting um, thinking about Wikipedia. I haven't really had to pause and think about Wikipedia in a few years. Mm-hmm. And I think about how... Um, many young people engage with Wikipedia, often high school age people mm. or um, those who might not be might not have access to academic journals yes. and to or literature or whatever to learn about particular people. Mm. Um, and what is written on the Wiki, Wikipedia page is often the extent to their, re- the, their research. Their research, yes. right? Yeah. And so I think about actually how important, you know, just even chatting with you now, it really is making me think about how important it is as a resource and because it's so important it should definitely be equitable. Yes, and and it is a responsibility. I mean, I think we owe we owe it to to ourselves in terms again talking about the the register and being an artist and being a woman artist that I feel like it's it's our it's our work to do. You know, mm. there's still a lot of work to do and we can do it. Um, just to, to kind of as an aside, like it's not actually um, difficult to do, as I said. So, for example, our Wikipedia-thon is on next Sunday, Sunday week for International Women's Day. And what happens if you sign up? Um, we're going to be at the NGV in the Great Hall, which is really exciting, at 11 to 2. <laughs> but if you sign up, we'll send you out information in advance and we say this, you know, you, you log on, you get your account and these are the artists. And and so you're, you're, you're guided through that process as well and you don't have to, you know, have a PhD or be studying at uni. You can be a student or a younger person and I agree, like you say, that is the, the first resource they might connect to and they'll take it as, as gospel often. Mm. And I know a lot of teachers, secondary teachers will say, look somewhere yeah. else, you don't just have to look at Wikipedia. But the fact is it, it is the largest online platform that people go to and it is reasonably reliable. And like I said, it does make um, a lot of effort to um, have informed 
content and it's moderated. It's just a matter of, like you say, the equity and who's writing and who's not writing, who they're writing about, who they're, they're not writing about. So there's plenty of scope there for people to get together in small communities and say, hey, we need to represent ourselves on there. Let's do this. Yeah. And it's archiving essentially, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, yeah. It's a form of archiving. Absolutely. And, and if we start doing that now and make sure that all of these important cultural and historic and artistic figures are in there we can go back and check it out again definitely (laughs) yeah so it is on sunday the 8th of march so sunday week from 11 to 2 at the great hall what do people need to know or bring to so you definitely need to bring your laptop you Mm -hmm. can do it on your phone but it's really awkward it's the format's too small and so what you do is you bring your laptop and as i said um, hopefully you registered beforehand but even if not we can help you get started and um, make sure your laptop is charged up as well and then um, also on that day the NGV is doing a panel in the afternoon for International Women's Day and they're launching a, a book about um, women artists as well so there's a whole lot happening and we we have a whole lot of volunteers that we're, we're a volunteer organisation too and so there'll be women's art register volunteers there helping out there'll be people from Wikimedia Australia and basically we just log on there and we chat about it and we get down and geek out on small details and depending on your skill level some people might just write one sentence someone write, might write 3,000 words and it really doesn't matter there's no degree of so nobody is um, scoring you or, or anything it's about participating and getting involved and it gets easier the more times you do it so the first time um, it, it does feel like a slow process mm-hmm. but the more you do it the, and you can do it at home you can do it remotely um, then you can just get on there and you can go elsewhere and start up another group and and do that again in you know in, in another session so it's really participatory and, and like I said, it is a, a, a creative common space that it's all about sharing information and if there is someone that you want to talk about, um, to write about, do a bit of research first and, and as I said, just note down in particular some good citations and that makes sure that your your um, writing is going to be accepted. And just another point actually that's really interesting is that through the Art and Feminism Network, these events happen all around the world now yeah. and so they they tally up all the results every year. It happens every year. So we can keep track of the progress and, and what difference it, it can make. I think it's a really exciting initiative and I think that the more people get behind it and the more people really engage and see um, what can be done and maybe even acknowledge the possibly the importance of this kind of information sharing in 2020, mm, um, the better it will be for all of us. Caroline Phillips, thank you so much for joining You're me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It was great. Uh, so the Art and Feminism Wikipedia Editathon Melbourne is happening on Sunday the 8th of March from 11am to 2pm at the NGV National Gallery of Victoria's Great Hall. All you need is a laptop that's fully charged and you can get editing here on Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Hannah, Catherine Jones is a London-based artist, musician, researcher, radio presenter, composer and conductor and founder of Peckham Chamber Orchestra. Hannah's in Australia for Niren, the Biennale of Sydney, and in Melbourne right now ahead of an event with Liquid Architecture at Loop tonight.
Hannah, thank you so much for coming in this morning. Thank you so much for having me on this lovely rainy day. <laughs> we were saying, I was saying off air that, you know, I understand that you came to Melbourne in summer and yeah. then it's just started raining and <laughs> refuses to stop, but that's okay. I'm used to this kind of thing, you know, it's very, um, yeah, British, Yorkshire, London, it's all the same, you know, happy to be here. <laughs> I know that you do a whole heap of things and we were chatting off air also about all of these different things that are happening for you right now. But I want to start with um, just you as a kid playing instruments. Was that your upbringing? Definitely. I mean, my dad, who he's from Barbados, he came over, he, he kind of just kind of collided and aligned with like a violin and it turned out he was really gifted and he kind of rose rose us brought us up playing violin from a really young age from like two um so it's I don't remember a time before playing instruments and then as much as I've wrestled with what that meant not really getting on with classical training uh dropping out of conservatoire at 18 I've somehow kind of found my own way of maintaining this musical practice compositional practice through through like yeah exploring improvisation and then then wound up here where I've just like kind of got founded an orchestra to kind of keep that bit alive but that's now kind of self-sufficient and running and then I'm off over here doing other bits and bobs so yeah it's definitely in my DNA. Yeah <laughs> it's amazing to me so were you trained violin by your dad? Yes. So that in my that warms my heart a lot <laughs> but I often think about um, music and like black people and what kind of music we often play and I just can't imagine that the violin is the top top instrument of course I mean like it's it's so incongruous of course it is and I don't think I I forget that because it's it's all I've ever known do you know what I mean and of course it's very unusual for someone of my dad's age you know everyone recognizes him because they recognize him as the black man with the violin (laughs) you know, in Doncaster, they, they they know who he is because there is no one else like him. I mean, things are changing and shifting now for sure. But of his generation, it was kind of, you know, uh, pretty revolutionary. Yeah, you know? it's not, it's definitely not the norm. I, not I can't norm. imagine that that is the norm. We play lots of instruments mm-hmm. as like a people's. Mm-hmm. The violin's probably not the most popular mm-hmm. one. Yeah, but I mean, I agreed, but here we are. That's where it stems from for me. And yeah, I guess it is still unusual these days and so after that you started a more kind of formal training yeah and then what happened well I got really really bored at conservatoire like maybe not bored frustrated I think with the way that they teach you music it's really like you you get given loads of bark chorales like um you know choral stuff and you have to like guess which chord Bach would use next and you have to learn all this stuff. And I was kind of like, okay, this is absolutely not nourishing. This is not what I'm here for. Um, Ultimately swerving that, dropping out, disappointing my dad very much so, you know, and just kind of being like, where can I express myself uh, in the musical way that I know I need to, but, but where can I do that? And then art Mm. (laughs) the umbrella of art which uh does allow for a lot more um flexibility I mean sometimes I think that art is the umbrella where all of the all things that don't fit in 
easily to any of the other categories, especially through an institutional framework of departments and whatnot. Um, yeah, everything goes to art. And then, of course, I've had trouble there through the institutions being like, well, th this is music, this is not art, this is music, this is not art. But I kind of dug my heels in and now, yeah, I'm finishing off my PhD in the art department at mm -hmm. Oxford University, which is a struggle in itself, um, but with a extremely musical output. In fact, my writing is sound. It's mm -hmm. me talking over music. It's me playing tracks. It's and then the practices, um, soundtracking, the videos that I make. But it's all very much connected. So I feel like I've definitely stuck it out. And I feel like, yeah, like the separation out of the arts was. I think it's based a lot in terms of business and money mm -hmm. and separate departments getting separate bits of funding, more money, more money. But I'm very much about kind of challenging that and breaking that down because not everyone thinks and works like that. There's much crossover and I think we're all richer when we appreciate how far things cross over, you know? Yeah. It's interesting because the my exposure to, you know, like the concert hall orchestra environment is often in in that crossover it's off, often you know when the jazz festival here in melbourne has lauren Vula mm -hmm. come down and then do this big performance yep. with the melbourne symphony orchestra yep. and that's my kind of only mm -hmm. interaction with that in a fusion in inverted commas mm -hmm. way mm -hmm. um and it works yeah totally and i think that you know the idea of the, the orchestra, um, I mean, I started my own orchestra in 2013. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Let's that. talk about Peckham Chamber Orchestra. I mean, you know, I'd just finished my master's. I was, at Gold, I was playing with Goldsmiths University Orchestra, but I wasn't a student there. I wanted somewhere to go and play that didn't, that wasn't like about huge grand shows. It was just a regular thing ticking on. And I was like, it doesn't exist. All right, let's make it. Let's make it. So but isn't I, an orchestra like inherently grand? Like there's just so many people doing so many things and the sound is coming from all of these different places and you don't think that someone's playing, but they're actually playing yeah. and without them playing it wouldn't sound this. Like it's quite a grand, overwhelming concept. For sure. But the first Peckham Chamber Orchestra concert was in December 2013 and I think there were 17 of us. So chamber like means room i mean how big's your room that's my question we had quite a big room but we didn't have many players but we played like we played vivaldi winter i did a little arrangement of twin peaks the uh the battle Lamenti kind of the theme laura's theme and the love theme and then what was the other piece oh my god elgar serenade for strings and it was my first time conducting 17 of us filled that room with sound with love and it took off from there and then and then jump on a few years once things had gotten a bit more kind of consolidated and I'd realized what this thing was becoming. We now function really as a as a total collective. There are different conductors because I was directing, conducting and composing almost every concert for like four years. So that's 12 concerts mm. like alongside all my study and stuff because I really cared I wanted to get this thing going and it built up a f big following like regular people coming in the audience audience full filling this hall of like 300 people it was it was amazing and because I was mixing stuff up like doing compositions arrangements of like I did a piece called Ramel Rhapsody, which was like Dr. Dre's samples. Uh, I did Ode to Badoo, which was Badoo, Erica Badoo samples 
2017, the 20-year anniversary of Baduism, um, lots of bits and bobs. But the biggest we ever were, I think, was like 52 players. So wow. full woodwind and brass, timps, uh, that they're the big like kettle drums, loads of strings, and we did uh, we did we did a huge concert, and we have singers, we have soloists. And now what we do is we have different conductors for each piece. So if you think about the orchestra a bit, the way I think about it as as a kind of community, the conductor is really the dictator of that community in the way that everything's set up. And that stems back way back. And, and that doesn't align with like my kind of worldview or my energy levels as an individual. <laughs> And so what happens now is that we literally pass the baton. So each person, members of the orchestra who play in the pieces that they're not conducting and then they step up and conduct. And it's a lot of first timers, second timers, third timers, people are becoming conductors. And when I say people, I'm hugely pushing and privileging, uh, you know, non-white, non-male, di diasporic peoples. Right. So like... You know, we've had Angel Lambo, who's like British Nigerian, Jotty, who's got Indian heritage, my friend Rose. So I'm trying to pioneer like a, yeah, I guess a new generation of amateur um, uh, conductors who are not white, who are not male, who are not necessarily hit, uh, cis or hair, you know, like um, just really trying to do my bit to, I don't like this word, but I'll use it, diversify the kinds of people that get the opportunities to be in that incredible position of, you know, you can do this. Right. Yeah. And there are people who are, you know, trained, classically trained, you know, there, who would love to be, have these kind of opportunities yeah. or engage in this way and have felt stifled by the big institutions and For then sure. are left with nothing. Yeah. Um, often people expect you know black artists to do something in more in different music maybe not the type of music that you guys are playing for sure um and so there is a lot of expectation i imagine mm -hmm. for people to you know stop that and do something you know use your skills in a different form yeah. maybe do some jazz or jump in, in and be a hip-hop artist or whatever i mean that's like it's it's tricky to kind of think through that because race normativity within music is obviously a thing like I get it all the time like even the other day it's like oh is that a saxophone it's like it's clearly a violin but I know that uh, you expect me to play the saxophone or things like you don't look like a conductor I'm like mm, what does a conductor look like then do you know what I mean like we know the answer but then again I have to mention Chinake the um orchestra that Chi Chi um oh my god I've forgotten Chi Chi's last name Chi Chi founded it's the first um, predominantly, you know, black minority ethnic orchestra in Europe and it's doing great things. There's Sheku Kanemason, the cellist who's taken off. Like, I think they had a, like a number one album. They're doing covers of Bob Marley stuff, which again, there's a normative cover thing there, but there is this visibility because it's like, you know, if you can't see other people doing it, you, you can't see yourself doing it. So I do feel the shift and the change of, yeah, all different kinds of people feeling like empowered, mm -hmm. you know, and that's super important. It should be an option, you know, especially with all the cuts to actual music, arts funding, right. of course in the UK, of course here in Australia. Yeah. I think it's safe to say globally, right. I mean, um, so these kind of grassroots things really, really start to, you know you can see it's making a positive positive impact on like 
many people's lives mm. um and that's very important you know and you kind of weave in and out of different spaces there are the big concert halls and you're playing at loop tonight and you're doing the biennale and then you'll probably be off somewhere in europe doing something somewhere else Mm -hmm. which environment is the one that makes the most sense to you whichever one i mean at the time i mean it happens it just so happens that i mean it's kind of intentional right so it's like my whole thing is really the PhD, the orchestra. It's really trying to get towards a non-dominance because I think we exist in a world where a very narrow set of people have an overwhelming sense of power, right? So um, I'm talking about Western European values, which links back to like you know colonization, everything, everything. So as diasporic peoples, you have to do a lot of work to kind of feel as though you can you know, exist and kind of resist that in a way or just kind of, yeah, just to exist. But I think that um, I wouldn't feel okay, like spiritually, uh, psychologically or in any way, all right, if I was only, you know, I'm doing a PhD at Oxford. If I was in that world all the time, I wouldn't be okay. I have to kind of exist in multiple worlds at the same time, I think, to try and uh, reach the broadest amount of people that I possibly can, and 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 the the variety of different venues I perform in reflects that. But it's it's also it's kind of intentional, but on like a level that's really core. Mm. So you know, I find myself being invited to perform in different places, from like you know squat DJ in a squat party to like you know performing. The thing is about PCA, we don't perform in concert halls. We perform at Peckham Liberal Club, which is a it's like a working class, working men's club, if you will. Like they only let women through the door in two thousand and eight, so it's like Peckham white working class environment. But um, yeah, it's it's. It has a hall, mm-hmm. you know. It's like walking back into the seventies. It's not grand in that way, but it it does have a grandeur, of course. Um, I mean, I still feel. I think a lot of us still feel out of place when we walk into some of these institutions where we have every right to be there, whether that's a, you know, <laughs> just existing human rights, or whether I can walk into a place w- with my, you know, Oxford. PhD, fingers crossed, still not got it yet. But I'll still be judged as though I don't belong there. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, are you the cleaner? Oh, are you here? Are you a student? It's like, no, I'm here to teach the class. No, I'm here to do this. So there's still a long way to go in terms of like us feeling as though we belong in the, especially the grander spaces. But I think it's hugely important to move through a variety of different spaces. Otherwise, I don't think I'm doing, that's not my truth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I definitely know what you mean. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because um, often it's not the, like it, it's really rare. So I go to a lot of music events and lots of kind of arts events and it's often certain people in certain spaces and certain people in other spaces and there is actually very little crossover. And so to see that that is something that is intentional, it must be intentional because mm-hmm. I don't know if that would just happen. Yeah, I mean, I... Like I say, like the invites come, I'm blessed because the invites come from multiple places. But then, you know, I, I do radio, so I do NTS in the UK. I'm also like got a foot in the door of the BBC, not as a regular presenter, but I keep getting asked to do documentaries, you know, which is amazing. I, what I put out there with Peckham Chamber Orchestra, I think the way I program it, or I say I, I can't say that, the way we <laughs> program it is 
the old. So some people will come for, you know, the the Mozart or whatever. And then other people will come for like, oh, there's a Badoo symphony or someone's done a Spice Girls medley. Shout out to Rose Daigle who did that. <laughs> that was incredible. So the program for one concert was like a Wagner Sound of Music mashup, which um, I'll be talking about tonight at the uh, um, Liquid Architecture event. And then we also had a Spice Girls medley, the Cat Duet by Rossini, sung by me and my friend Desta Heil. Uh, shout out to Desta, which is just meows, operatic meows. <laughs> and then I think I played Summertime, Gershwin, but I played it on the theremin. Like, so, you know, you know, with, the, with my hands instead of singing. And then I think doing programming like that so you got the young people who are coming who are like oh my god like you know Spice, Spice Girls, Girls and yeah. then you got the older people coming who are like oh a bit of Wagner and then it all mashes together and everyone's left with this this thing which is not conventionally in how it's presented so I think that that's what I'm after as well it's like I think you know we all draw from such broad um influences mm. but in terms of like what's considered valuable knowledge is often the stuff that's the most inaccessible, wordy, not useful. But so how do we combine that? Boring stuff, right? Like I really, yeah, I I find it difficult. I do find, I listen to a lot of music and I play a lot of music and I, I sometimes find that connecting to that kind of music or that kind of work really quite difficult. Of course. And it represents like, so me and classical music, of course, like, it's it's all from my dad, you know, from Barbados. I know it's incongruous, but that's what... It makes me think about times of playing music with him. That's how we communicate in a lot of ways. So it's, it's really ingrained into me, and I do love it in a way that, yeah, like I say, it's kind of in my DNA. However, it signifies a world of imperialism and, you know, the ultimate kind of, like, whiteness of, like, hearing, like, bark or whatever. But at the same time, that music is fire. So it's about how do we break down the the layers to make it, make make this kind of beautiful music accessible. And I think, you know, I try and do that through the opera show, through framing it like, you know, opera translates from Italian as work. So I think about opera in terms of vocal labour. I'm not trying to put any kind of other um weight on that other than someone is doing something extraordinary with their voice so that could be Yuma Samak from Peru the Peruvian songbird Mm. it could be Mariah Carey with her whistle tones it could be Robert Wyatt with his five octave voice it could be Bjork it could be Parlando speak singing aka rap it could be the poetry of Kanye or or uh, you know Kendrick or Biggie you know like so I think that having yeah trying to frame things in a way that says you are welcome here this is not a big scary thing it's all just sounds mm-hmm. it's all just sounds well essentially that's what that's what it is yeah right? but there's so much it's so much more loaded and there's so much more elitism attached to it than just than just that yeah before we get into what you're doing at the biennale and what's happening tonight i want to ask you about this concept that you have spoken about which is like the concept of self-reparation, which you describe as re-educating yourself through decolonization. Mm-hmm. I really <laughs> I sat with that mm-hmm. for a minute and I feel like I, I do have a sense of what that means to me, but I want to know what that looks like to you. Yep. Okay. I mean, I have had the luxury of being like heavily educated, let's say. <clears throat> I mean, I always knew I wanted to go to uni. My dad was pushing that. BA, masters. At some point during my 
I started a PhD at Goldsmiths University. And at some point during that, I just kind of woke up, um, maybe age 27, 28, 26, 27, and was just like, whoa, why am I excluding all this kind of uh, joy and love for the, the, the things that essentially black culture, which is a problematic term because that's so broad, but I'm just going to use it because we haven't got time to go into it. Come to the talk tonight. <laughs> black culture, <laughs> excluding that from everything that I was doing inside the institution and like realizing that that's what was happening and being like, wow, I need to do something about this. And it really stemmed from the research I was doing into Orpheus, like the ancient Greek myth. And then I found out about all this body of work called Black Orpheus, which was, you know, a book by Jean-Paul Sartre, a film by Albert Camus, the amazing film, and a journal by Yuli Bayer. And it was all about kind of this, the thing with Orpheus, it's like transfiguring grief into joy mm. through music. Who's done that forever? You know, indigenous people, First Nations people, black people. When I think about like how music is tied into the survivance of, you know, non-white people um and in my case class it's through classical music so it's in congress but i realized all that and was just like i need to make a shift mm -hmm. so the shift came about and i just started kind of yeah re-educating myself finding out about barbados about Bussa, who's like a, a, a bayesian enslaved man who led the 1816 rebellion that's my heritage you know finding out about that looking around me in the world and just linking things up and yeah. being like right, okay, there's a second adolescence going on here of this re-education and, and I'm not going to get it from from the institution. And if I try and bring that institu the institution, there's going to be a big fight. I realised that, shifted some things around and then went in, restarted my PhD again, being like, this is what it's about. That's right. This is what I'm doing. And of course, that's been met with a lot of resistance. How could it not be? Um, but it's... It's very important work. And of course, I'm not the only person doing it. And of course, it's like all these ripples of people doing it all over the place. And that's kind of what I'm trying to connect with the PhD, almost like smoke signals and drum signals right, right. to other people being like, I'm also here. Like, I'm also, at one point I was the only black person here. I see you. We're, we're, we are connected, even though we are struggling through this thing to the ends of hopefully shifting how the curriculum is at some point in the future and at least believing that that's possible. Isn't it amazing how much your history or your um, yourself and your context and your lineage gets kind of squashed down in an attempt to um, engage with the 2020 or the world that you're in now mm. and then there is that kind of 180 realization that like wait wait, wait, wait. Mm. it's all about what's happened right it's all about your history it's all about who you are in your context and in fact whatever's happening now mm. you live and exist and experience that with all of those other things in mind it's not the opposite way mm -hmm. and you're it is like a kind of a light bulb mm -hmm. moment I definitely I, I definitely had that moment and so that's why I was like Wait, I've never thought of it as self-reparation before. I've never considered it in that terminology, but I've definitely had that moment of like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've been, this has been all wrong. I've been thinking about this and my place in it in a totally, the opposite way than it, that it should be thought about. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why that is and we need to correct that mm -hmm. wrong. I feel like chatting to, you know, chatting to younger people wherever I go, but like, you know, I'm based in the UK, in London. I feel like, 
like I have to mention Galdem. It's a magazine and online mm. uh, platform based in in London. Like that changed me. It was like these kind of younger black women that were like my. They were, they were like big sisters to me in this second adolescence. As in like, for all, of, all of a sudden there was just this kind of information or the, like these articles written by black women for, for everyone, you know, like very generously written. But it that was a, a real kind of help in the, I'm showing my age now, but we just didn't have that. Like when I was growing up, we didn't have access to any of that information, not in an immediate way. And of course, like, this is true for everything, but I think there's something really, really amazing happening and chatting to young people now who are like, I wish I'd been as switched on and as aware of what was going on when I was younger. But, you know, I'm I'm grateful for the for the journey, for the lessons and the journey is never over, you know? Um, so I'm, I can see things changing, but it, it still doesn't quite translate to this kind of qualitative change. Like, I know you know, but it's like you're gonna still be faced with that whole, oh, what are you doing here Mm -hmm. vibe. Whether it's said, whether it's covert or over, it's still, that's still very present. And I think that when, yeah, absolutely. And when there is a bit of a shift in thinking and and a kind of different realisation, it feels different being asked that question. It also feels different the way in which you respond to it, you know. Mm. And I feel like that's kind of the process that I'm at at the moment or the position that I'm in at the moment where I'm like, oh, I get I get this now. It feels different. Mm. <laughs> I don't really mm. care as much or I don't really um, – I know that there's something a little bit bigger than what it felt like a few years ago. Yeah. And so it is a – it's a process. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. We were saying that earlier. That's all right. Everything will be fine. Yeah, yeah. We've managed to stay alive for as long as we're alive. Yeah. We'll- survived 100% of our lives so far exactly what we've done yeah let's chat about tonight so you're hosting a lecture and performance alongside liquid architecture at loop tonight Mm -hmm. um what will it look like what's happening that's a great question I I would love to know the answer to that question myself I mean (laughs) well you know I I've been fortunate enough to live out this this comparison of these two massive words afrofuturism and then Gesamtkunstwerk, which means the total artwork in German. The title of this iteration of the talk that I'm doing is struck through those two words, and I'll explain that later. I mean, the th- the word that's important to strike through for me is Gesamtkunstwerk, because, like, why am I using a four-syllable or however many it is, German word? Why am I doing that? That's done. But I will be explaining that tonight. Um, so I'll be talking... I'll be trying to explain where I was last time, what I've learned since... 2017 when I was here and what it really feels like to me is like me living out the research that I entered into Oxford Uni with this PhD to do but couldn't do it because they couldn't really support it Mm. but I've lived it out in a parallel universe on the other side of the world and the culmination of of what I've learned is going to be expressed tonight in whatever way I can kind of draw out myself and I will um yeah, then there will be a lengthy performance um, of one of my odes. It is called Ode to Diasporas. And the important thing is Ode is spelled O-W-E-D. I saw that. Yeah. And I was like, that's That's clever. the debt thing, you know? It's yeah. like, obviously I'm punning on the ancient Greek, um, but it's it's in debt to myself. It's in, it's, it's in honour of the diaspora, mm. like uh, plural, but it's kind of a... 
an attempt to, it's where I am right now in how I have looked back and tried to make sense of my place on this earth. I know it's going to resonate with a lot of diasporic people. Um, and and the wider thing of like, you know, it, it let's, you know, come along tonight. It'll get metaphysical. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you what instruments I'm using. I'm using theremin, mm-hmm. voice, synthesizer, drum machine, violin and then loads of loop pedals and um effects and stuff so it's nice to be playing at a place called loop because everything is cyclical cyclical we love it yeah we love it so much it has been such a joy to have you here and chat with you about all of these things there is so many things in my brain that are going on right now based on all of the stuff that you've just shared (laughs) and i think tonight is going to be really really special thank you so much Anna. thank you so much for having me it's been great to meet you Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's The Wrap, a weekly radio show weaving conversations about culture, politics, literature, art and music into a weekly mix. Broadcast live on Triple R from Kulin Nations land in Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and if you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.